Welcome to the seventh episode of the Product Weekend Podcast Season 2, powered by Productized. This is where we meet the inspiring people behind great products. My name is Romoita, and today we have with us Lindsay Bell, Head of Product Operations at Rapid API. Lindsay comes from an anthropology background, but she soon figured that product was a place where she would grow. By embracing new challenges, she got into product operations at Twilio before jumping to Rapid to build a product ops function from the ground up. Besides being an inspiring product ops leader, Lindsay is also a generous mentor, sci-fi enthusiast and ambitious person. In this conversation, we talked about her path and got into many details of product operations. By the end of the episode, you have books, podcasts and travel recommendations from her. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. How would you describe yourself as a child? Oh, the first things that come to mind are words that my mother has said, uh, but mm -hmm. I will talk from my own experience. Um, right. I was a bit of a ragamuffin, uh, which kind of just means that I was like a dirty kid, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like to be in the mud, like to talk loud, like to disrupt everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, outside, I mean, I would try to do it in the classroom, just make an absolute mess mm -hmm. of things. Um, but then I felt like something that really honed me in from just being like an absolute wild child was music. Um, mm. So cool. starting young, I was sang in choirs and I did that all the way through. I was 18. Um, did you play any instruments? Really... Yeah, so I did a little piano, a little guitar, but that wasn't my instrument. My instrument was my voice. Um, mm -hmm. So... I sang quite a bit. I did like traveling choirs. I sang for cool. an amazing director, um, two directors, actually husband and wife during school mm -hmm. that are um, looked out in the industry is very good. Uh, sang in lots cool. of different languages, um, big, big choirs, like 200, 300 people. Um, yeah. yeah, it was awesome. It's not really a description of me, but something that mm -hmm. like really helped me settle and like focus yeah. on stuff and like, make something really beautiful with people and like mm -hmm. a community, which is really cool. That's cool. And did you already have an idea of what you'd like to become when you grow up? Oh, so I've bounced around a lot. Um, the first thought was astronaut. Um, I think many mm -hmm. kids had that. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm still pretty obsessed with space. Um, I read a lot of science fiction and that's cool. kind of my way to escape into space. Mm -hmm. um but that evolved into um veterinary i rode horses growing up as well i liked the okay. idea of doing that um and then i was like is big animals really what i want to do um and then it pivoted to marine biology which i think every marine millennial okay. <laughs> may have had a thought of marine biology at a time save uh, the ocean yeah uh, save the ocean and i just loved that it was as soon as i learned that it was more unmapped than our own galaxy pretty much or like our own solar system that was mm -hmm. pretty wild to me <laughs> and i was mm -hmm. like oh i could be a part of discovering that which then evolved into um archaeology and anthropology which is actually what i majored in in school uh anthropology cool. yeah. and what made you go into that field of study so i saw that it it was anthropology and criminal justice right yeah. what was your idea with that what would you like to practice so i wish it was cooler than just saying i watched a tv show <laughs> um but i got really into the show bones i don't know okay. if you've ever watched it before yeah, but yeah. she's a forensic anthropologist um mm -hmm. i loved that 
for some reason, I felt like her and I had similar personalities. So I clung to it at that time. Mm -hmm. um, but how I made my decision was freshman year of college. I took a marine biology class and an anthropology class. Okay. Um, and it was very clear to me which one I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. um, and I was definitely lucky enough to kind of go to school and just figure it out and that's enjoy cool. the ride. Um, so you and have anthropology a was to... a way to do that. That's cool. So you have a chance to test both of them and see what you identify the most with. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Anthropology is much more broad. You have like cultural, mm -hmm. you have archaeology, you have physical anthropology, you have forensic anthropology, things you would consider cool. science right mm -hmm. next to things that are like, where like do we come humans. from? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, cool. very cool stuff. That's nice. Um, so then your first work experience was actually at a law firm, right? Why was that? How how did yes. you end up there and how was the experience? Yeah, so as I was finishing up my major in anthropology, the, the place that I wanted to go was to be the forensic anthropologist, which turns out not every single state even has one. Uh, so it's a really, mm -hmm. really, really small um, thing to get into. Yeah, it's very and specific. Very specific. And it also, it, the, the only other option was like a coroner, um, <laughs> which mm -hmm. most coroners in the States do forensic anthropology as well as pathology. And pathology requires a um, like seven or six more years of school, six or seven mm. years of school. Okay. Okay. And I was just done. So... <laughs> When I thought yeah. about it, it was like, well, was what else would I be interested in? Yeah, given my minor in criminal justice, I thought, well, maybe I could go to law school. I really like arguing. <laughs> mm -hmm. I like debating. Um, cool. But instead of just going into it, because I wasn't ready to commit to a lot of school, similar to the, mm -hmm. the medical area, I um, went to work at the law firm, which okay. was really, really cool, actually. Yeah. How was the experience? How do you think that influenced your later career? So I worked in um, as a legal secretary for the Patent and Trademark Department. Okay. So I got to read a lot of patent applications. And I so worked at a... Was it yeah. already somewhat related to tech? It was mostly tech patents or...? Uh, I wouldn't say mostly, but I definitely had a case. Mm -hmm. um, okay. It was a... I'm not going to call out the clients of the firm that I worked at because that feels mm -hmm. like something illegal. Um, but it was hmm. really cool. Um, really, really long applications, like hundreds of pages, office actions between the patent office and the lawyer and the inventor to really mm -hmm. make sure that their invention was unique against okay. all the other inventions out there. And I just saw how creative people could be. Um, and it just so happened yes. that creativity in the tech space was exciting because it's at that time, which, what was that, like 2014, I felt like tech was really coming up, at least for like my, my eyes. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was starting to see like the cool industry yeah. that it was. Um, so I think in combination of that, like cultural influence and mm -hmm. being exposed to it, I was like, I want to enter into tech. How do I do that? All right. Um, All right. Yeah. And the transferable skills of a legal secretary, there's, it was project management me um mm -hmm. probably could have gone to like executive assistant but i was sort of over that um okay at least like the managing of calendars mm -hmm. um but project management was a pretty easy entry and i had um a boss tommy take a chance on me to 
to take on project management after a secretarial role. So I went into that. Okay. Still at the law firm, right? No, this is actually, this was a change. Okay. So, okay. yeah, I, the line item on my resume says Holland Square Group. We were mm -hmm. contractors for the next company on my resume, which is Four Winds Interactive. So mm -hmm. the product okay. and, and the work was very similar. Um, it was a digital signage company. And essentially, right. I worked with clients and collected assets and worked with our designers and sign developers for them to mm -hmm. build what the client wanted and conduct design reviews and things that were a tap into products, but okay. not fully there. Okay. Right. And how was that adaptation, that transition? You, did you feel like you're doing something that you're more suited for? Was it tricky? How was the transition to pro project management? Uh, it was, I was definitely more suited for it. I remember being pretty, I put a lot of value on myself it, through work. Um, mm -hmm. And as a legal secretary, it just wasn't rewarding enough, right? It was right. kind of like a clock out situation. Like as soon as you leave, you can't work anymore. Not saying that that's okay. healthy, that you should clock <laughs> out and continue working. But yeah. um, I liked the idea of like the flexibility and taking work with you and traveling. And I got to do more of that in that role. So it was just like more stimulating overall. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But yeah, I was pretty good at the work. Overall, I ended up taking on quite a lot of projects. Mm -hmm. I found out ways to make them more efficient, uh, which is interesting how that I say this out loud to see where I am today. But mm -hmm. cool. I tried to do as many things as possible, as efficiently as possible. And that was a big challenge and something I felt I was pretty good at. That's cool. Uh, let me just go on a little tangent there. How do yeah. you balance life and work? And how, how mm. has that evolved over the years? Oh boy, has it evolved. Um, so the project management role I was just talking about, um, I was able to bring work home with me, but because it was like the first time I was in a role like that, mm -hmm. it wasn't too much. I don't recall it impacting my life a lot. Not to okay. mention everyone that I worked with was the most fun. So like, yeah, mm -hmm. we would clock out at five and then we'd go to happy hour and then like hang out for hours. So we okay. would still talk about work, but it was in like a more fun environment. That's um, cool. When I moved into a sales role, which was my next position, was when mm -hmm. I felt like I started to have work creep in on personal life a little more. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Whenever a client or a, excuse me, a customer would reach out, it was just like, as a millennial, someone texts me, I almost respond immediately if I get the yeah. notification. It was similar with work as well. Um, and because I was client facing, that was really dependent on when the clients wanted to reach out, right? It yeah. wasn't like it was just so my it was work the clients people talking deciding your schedule. Yeah. yeah. And I definitely let that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, I loved the people at that job. So I felt like even though that did happen, you know, I could be at happy hour responding to a customer email that didn't disturb me as much. Mm -hmm. So you were doing extra hours or at least spending more than the hours of work with your colleagues when you were having fun. Yeah. Not to like generalize about age groups as well, but obviously like mm -hmm. I'm getting older. So like yeah. that project management job, like happy hours every day wasn't as like exhausting if I'm honest as it is today. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I was out, out doing it. Uh, and then the job that I'm speaking about that I didn't necessarily enjoy or was stimulated by, mm -hmm. um, I was a little older. 
and then the pandemic hit also. Mm -hmm. Um, So not having the connection before that and then working remotely was pretty difficult to stay engaged. And then when I moved to a product operations role at Twilio, so the more official title and Mm -hmm. at a a very stimulating organization, Mm -hmm. work was all the time, Um, even though I worked from home, but because I really enjoyed it. Like I don't look back at that time and say like, oh, I should have used my time differently. Mm-hmm. Okay. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I still, I still can work long hours. Um, but I don't make any more assumptions about like what it means for my performance. I think that's something that's evolved. At Twilio, it was okay. like, oh, well, if I get the things done, I'm a, a higher performer. Versus okay. now it's like, to me, measuring my performance is against like the value that I provide. Mm-hmm. Prioritizing effectively. Yeah. Um, so building the team things yeah. that are much more uh subjective yeah right? so uh, that you yeah. don't necessarily need to put that those extra hours if you prioritize effectively if you put the right processes in place you can still be like achieve better outcomes with less time right um i don't know if it's less time i think it's just more intentional time mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Uh, I also went through a move this year. So um, in July we moved and I've had a mm-hmm. lot of time to myself and I am enjoying that time. And yeah. rather than spending it working, I'd like to invest in myself in other ways. So I've prioritized mm-hmm. that more this year just because, you know, change mm-hmm. in life encourages that to happen. So. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool, right? You already unveiled a bit of your of your path of your different roles, but let's go back chronologically. So you were at that uh, company doing pro- project management, and that company got acquired by the the company called Four Winds Interactive. How was yeah. the that process of acquisition? How was that change? Did your uh, function change? Uh, was it still more or less the same kind of work? How was that? Uh, It was more or less the same kind of work. Um, The processes were a little bit different. So if I could like put it to scale, the team that I worked with at um, Holland Square, the contractor group, there were three project managers and I want to say like 12 prime developers and two designers. Mm -hmm. Four wins with 400 people in total. Um, So it was a different scale. Yeah, and the professional services team was, oh, I don't, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but I'd say like 200 people, which is, which is different. So that like small town or like small vibe experience definitely changed. Mm -hmm. Um, But I felt like I thrived in that. Most of my childhood was spent as like a little fish in a big sea. Mm -hmm. rather than a big fish in the little sea where where a lot of eyes were on me um Mm -hmm. i always kind of liked being in a crowd um and in this case i felt like i was in a crowd um but i feel as if i excelled in the crowd which for me putting value in my work made me feel more important (laughs) uh like that competitive nature um yeah yeah. the work itself is more or less the same i did that role there project manager at four wins Mm -hmm. oh gosh i don't know i'd have to look at the dates on my resume but it wasn't a full year in that position when i got there 
yeah, when I got there, I started to explore the other roles in the company because it was like, mm-hmm. oh, now I'm exposed to all this stuff. Like this is an opportunity for me to figure out like if what I'm doing is what I want to continue to do. And um, I thought I used my time wisely early in career to navigate what I wanted to do ultimately. Um, and this was my first taste of like a of a jump into a different portion of the same company. So I explored roles in solutions consulting, which were um, basically the right-hand people to our sales folks, aside from sales engineers, that kind of represented the professional services team. Mm-hmm. Project management into that role wasn't huge. I like had all the knowledge. Um, and my future boss, JJ, actually approached me. He's like, I see you talking to people about solutions consulting. Why are you doing mm-hmm. that? I'm like, well, I'm interested in doing it. And he's like, well, why are you interested in it? And I'm like, well, I want to get closer to the revenue side of the organization because I feel like it's something that I don't understand or don't know about. It's mm-hmm. important it's to interesting. Mm-hmm. the success of the company. I want exposure to that. And he's like, well, it seems like solutions consulting would just be a stopgap. You should jump to sales and you shouldn't come work mm-hmm. on my team. Cool. Um, I mean, the process took a little longer than that. Um. Mm-hmm. But once that kind of opened up, I was like, oh, maybe I could try that. My dad's in sales. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it's kind of a love or hate scenario for most people, (laughs) but I enjoyed it. How was the, your expectation at that moment? Were you like thinking maybe I'll do a career in sales or was it more like, I'm curious about it. Let's figure out what it is to learn more and then figure out afterwards. Were you considering like focusing on sales? I was, when I was in the position, what I looked at as like an, a future opportunity was um, at least at the, like the start of my sales career, it was like, oh, the sales managers, one, make a lot of money mm-hmm. and two, do this really well and have like a lot of influence on the direction, the direction of the business. Or so I thought at that time. Mm -hmm. But as I continued to observe, this is where my eyes really went towards product. Um, Specifically, when I was in sales, so moving from project management on the professional services team, I knew about most things in the software. I knew what didn't work for our customers. I knew a workaround for it. Not necessarily hands-on keyboard, but when I spoke to a client, I had all the truth behind me. When I moved into sales, I felt like that information was no longer available to me. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't as accessible. It wasn't prioritized. I didn't feel in my sales education, which I did not love because I felt like when I talked to customers that I could easily break their trust by not saying the right thing. Um, And as new products came out, that feeling like continued to grow. Mm -hmm. Um, So I spoke with my boss at the time and I'm like, I'd like to figure out a way to strengthen the bond between product and sales. Um, and I started to taste a little bit of it. It was really just in this one focus area. I was selling like a fully custom product. Um, they developed a new product that was much more in a box. And I thought there could be an in-between. And I kind of mm-hmm. set out on this solution. Um, I had lots of meetings that I'm now questioning the ultimate value of. But mm-hmm. Um, 
I had an opportunity to attempt to influence on the product side. It didn't fully work out, but I do think that I gained respect from the product side of the organization. Mm -hmm. Did you then try to make a jump towards product management? So I tried a couple times um, at this company. I wrote, um, the one that I remember was I wrote a job description that was essentially product operations. It was around like strengthening the bond between sales and product. Mm -hmm. um, and my boss brought it to um, our president at the time. A message that I received was, okay, I see something, but it's not something we're, we're going to do right now. Okay. Um, and that was when, you know, after trying a couple of times to move over, that was the time of like, okay, if I'm going to go into product, I have to leave this organization. Okay. I see. Which this is the organization that I felt I was really bonded with people and had so much fun that I didn't really want to. Mm -hmm. Um, but my career move or career growth dictated that. Um, okay. so it's what I did. I see. Before jumping to your jump to product management, uh, let me ask you about that thing you were saying about bonding with your colleagues. How important do you think these personal relations are? In a work environment, or do you like to have a do you have a clear separation between who you are at work and as a friend? Do you try to be the same person? How do you balance that? Yeah, it's a good question because it's something that I I struggle to balance at least in my own mind. I think I lead as the same person, um, but sometimes I have I have lapses in confidence about that mostly because of certain perceptions I feel that I should up. So for example, if I'm vulnerable or have a personal connection with a colleague and I say something, I can then go home and question whether that was appropriate in a work setting. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I'm ever unprofessional, but I, I definitely don't have a wall up. If people ask me questions, I'm pretty open book. Um, mm -hmm. And while sometimes I do have those lapses in confidence, I think it's important to have the to have the vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But there definitely is something to the balance of vulnerability and the impact it has on the people that you're speaking with. Um, so for example, if I come in with my whole self at work and I had something personal happen over the weekend and I'm sharing mm -hmm. and I'm sharing and I'm sharing and it could become an emotional burden on the person that I'm talking to. And that can right. detract from work and ultimately it can detract from your relationship with that person too. Cause they're like, you're emotionally dumping on me. I can't take this. You yeah. don't know what's happening in my life. Um, mm -hmm. So there's definitely a balance to strike there. Like read the room. Um, I usually kind of go with the ask if the question's asked, mm -hmm. answer the question. Yeah, it's something hard to balance. Like you try to be your true self as much as possible and like be honest, be open, share, like connect, understand the other person emotionally. Uh, but it also can backfire in some situations. Yeah, I mean, I think as long as you're not inauthentic, right? Mm -hmm. And like not misrepresenting yourself. Yeah. You're still being authentic. 
it's yeah, just it's like just some things that you waiting. can keep for yourself right yeah mm -hmm. exactly cool all right then about your jump specifically into product you realize that at that company you're not going to make it so you had to change organizations um do you change to a product and program manage manager uh, position uh how was that jump how did you did you do some preparation uh was it how did you do it uh i did a lot of reading and a lot of watching the videos I was definitely applying in quantity rather than quality mm. because my logic was if I have the title and exposure, I'll figure it out um, because that's been my experience, you know, in my career this far, mm -hmm. you just do the thing. Um, so when I made the jump, I did some reading, watched videos, you know, tried to self-educate and that was all fine and good, but when I moved over to that company, product was not what I expected it to be. Mm -hmm. Product was not what I had seen at the last company. Um, so what I had set out to do wasn't necessarily what I had in front of me. Right. Which... How was the, the product organization there? So this team, um, so they were opening, this is a payments processor. They were exploring the U.S. market, but they were headquartered in Malta. So a pretty large organization based out of Malta, but there were 30 of us in the States. Mm -hmm. There was a good bit of turnover. I felt that the connection between the United States office and the Maltese office, it wasn't really there. Um, there were lots of challenges there that I don't necessarily want to name or identify directly. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I saw was a lot of the engineers and developers were in Malta. So mm -hmm. because of whatever those gaps were, whatever caused yeah. those gaps, mm -hmm. it was yeah, very I mean, difficult to work through and like right. actually produce and like release things. Right. Yeah. Um, there was a geographical, cultural, like a big gap that you, it was not that easy to, to feel, right? Yeah. And I think with a time zone shift like that, you have to be willing to work with people mm -hmm. um, because it's difficult. Like you don't have so many hours with each other. You have to be really intentional. Rapid, where I work now, we have um, a Tel Aviv office. And a Berlin mm -hmm. office, and those those time zone changes without you know prioritizing async communication, mm -hmm. it's much more obvious to me now of like oh well maybe it wasn't you know these other things that I thought this Maltese this connection mm -hmm. was um, and was rather just like not being as intentional as we should be to actually get things done. I'm gonna yeah. take a lot of effort. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when I joined the program manager role was pretty much, I was more of an order taker. Okay. Um, it was like, okay, we need to do this thing, go do the thing. I also felt like because it wasn't the product that I expected and I hadn't been exposed before, a lot of the things that I was trying wasn't working, mm -hmm. um, which was pretty frustrating, right? Yeah. Um, and then I moved into a product manager role there, mostly because mm -hmm. of the need. Um, 
in the program manager role, I did a lot of product training. Um, all of a sudden I went from, you know, kind of twiddling my thumbs a lot of the days um, mm -hmm. because of the disconnection and lots of other things to, hey, we have a huge client that needs to be trained. Oh, and by the way, it's three weeks. Oh, and by the way, the product has no user guide for the states and it mm -hmm. doesn't have any training that, you know, we always provide custom training, but we need someone in the states to do it. Okay. Had to put all of that together, which really threw me in the fire. So of like how of do you talk about a product mm -hmm. yeah like i wrote a not not that page count means anything of value is something like 200 page user guide of every screen within the the processing product which it was a pretty um old school product and not super easy to use so it was a lot of trial and error to even get the flows documented mm -hmm. and that was when i started to get a glimpse of like what does a user story look like wasn't necessarily what I was writing in terms of yeah. like getting a developer to build something, but it was like, how does a customer understand what this means? Mm -hmm. And that was when a lot of the reading and the watching really came, came together. Yeah. Um, and then when that project finished, moving into uh, requirements writing for other clients. So more formalized product management. I was like, okay, now mm -hmm. I have to do this. Oh, and by the way, it's about APIs, which... Mm -hmm. I didn't have any experience with either. So it was definitely thrown in to the fire still. And that part was fun. Like the learning aspect was fun. Mm -hmm. And I liked being uncomfortable, but I didn't feel on the product manager side that I was right. using my strengths at all. Mm -hmm. So actually the first time we talked, I, I reached out because of some positions that you were posting at Rapid API. And then we ended up having a, pretty interesting chat about breaking into product and growing a product career. So what yeah. advice do you have for someone that wants to break into product management? Now, um, I mean, I'll, I'll blow it out first to like, just talk about career in general, mm -hmm. like try all the things. Don't think because you've committed to something that that is your career. Um, mm -hmm based on what I've shared today, right? Like I've bounced around a yeah. lot and I feel really, really satisfied in my role now. Like my yeah. nerd out on product operations is something that I never would have expected, but I mm -hmm. love it. And yeah. it took me my experience to get there. So you're, um, all your different experiences, working in different types of organizations, different functions also enriched your understanding of organizations and of product at large probably yeah i mean I, yeah the diversity of thought um so i guess to enter into product what i did right was rapid fire and just get product in my title which i'm not saying that was the right way to do it but it was mm -hmm. like i was a learner by doing um right. there's lots of great education opportunities out there now that were not available when i was exploring mm -hmm. um that i think are well respected in in the industry but i will say with the economic environment that we're in right now i feel like organizations are less likely to take risks mm -hmm. and yep. that was not the situation i was in i was in a situation of like i was a risk and we'll take it so there mm -hmm. are probably some things that need to be honed in and prioritized like understood Mm -hmm. ahead of entering product management which isn't yeah. really fair but mm -hmm. competitive so you so. think 
you feel like organizations now are a bit more skeptical about taking junior product managers or people that haven't done product management in the past into these type of roles because that's a risk? It's totally dependent on the organization, right? Mm -hmm. But I would say that the money that they're investing in an individual to do product work, they want the most out of them. Mm -hmm. More so than ever. Right, yeah. So you were also mentioning that um, in that organization, when you first had the title of product manager, it wasn't exactly what you expected. Um, what what advice do you have or what signals do you think people can look for to understand if the product management function at the company they are interested in is functioning well? Yeah, it's a great question. Um so things that I would look out for specifically like in job descriptions. Product owner is a role in the Scrum team, not mm -hmm. a product manager. That's one that I look out for. Yeah. Um, and you can see those points in a in the job description pretty clearly. Mm -hmm. um, the other red flag that I would say is when a job description also calls out things like project. Um, mm -hmm. if the, the focus areas are primarily focused on delivery, um, yeah. I mean, delivery is a huge part of product. I'm not discounting that at all. To me, mm -hmm. there's a difference between like delivery and release and launch. Like delivery to me is around product. I mean, project, excuse me. It's like mm -hmm. driving something to close and maybe never yeah. looking at it again. It's more of like the checkbox tick, I feel rather mm -hmm. than like that outcome or customer value or like, you know, all the buzzwords that we see out in mm -hmm. product today. If an employer is not using those buzzwords or mm -hmm. like it attempts, not even attempting to veil that it's really project management, mm -hmm. it's probably a big red flag. Um, so I would say similarly not... in the process too, like the mm -hmm. interview process. Yeah. Okay. Try to... Um uncover that if you'll actually be doing product management if you'll have any saying on the discovery part or on the other hand if you'll be just taking requirements maybe if you see in the job description that's like take requirements from stakeholders uh trim it down to the developers maybe those are also red flags yeah and look for like in the interview process itself ask about how they prioritize work um, and the things to look out for is like, you know, the top down approach, because dependent on how large an organization is, you know, product managers are the closest to the engineering team, which means that you could have five or six horizontal layers above you, if not more. Are mm -hmm. they making future decisions mm -hmm. for you? Is yeah. that what how you want your experience to be? Mm -hmm. I will say, though, like it when you enter into product, those are the type of organizations that are going to take more risk in taking you on. Mm -hmm. um, so there and there is something to learning of like what not to do. So by no means would that experience be not valuable. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're out in the industry and you're understanding the direction in which it's going and you just need to take a role that allows you to have exposure into some bit of it. That's not mm -hmm. a bad thing. But when you look at yeah. growing in your career, hopefully you're you're trying to work away from that. Yeah, to, to have more mm -hmm. yeah, ownership and like value right. in your role, but also like the output of your role, 
and the value that you're driving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's very useful advice. That's a tricky thing always to figure out if it's actually product manager that you'll be doing. Because a lot of times you even have that title of product manager. You still have like in the description or in, I don't know, on the day-to-day -day people tell you, yeah, you need to have ownership. You own the your product, blah, blah. But in the end, you don't have any ownership. So that's difficult to to figure out. Um, but yeah, I mean, also relating to what you were saying before that now, especially in the economic downturn, companies are probably not so much willing to take risks. Um, getting into product through one of those things, like either project management or product owner can still be a stepping stone for a more real product management role, right? Yeah. And if you're early in career, you can't expect to just like be a product manager. I yeah. don't think. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not like a major. So it's not like you've been given the skills to just enter mm -hmm. a role. Mm -hmm. um, and even yeah. then, like just because you major in it, it doesn't even have the skills, if we're being honest. Yeah. But like you'll need exposure. So I would say priority one is the exposure and then the refinement come, can come after if you're not able to do it before. Right. Mm -hmm. Cool. Then going back to, to your path, then you jump to product operations manager at Twilio. Yeah. Uh, how did that happen? Did you add a, did you already have a thing for product operations? Were you already nerding about it? Or was it something new that you wanted to explore? I was definitely starting to nerd about it. Um, and it was also if I was doing any reading on product at that time, that's what I was reading about one because mm -hmm. of the interest, but because I felt like it was its first like entry into the industry. Uh, so it was, seemed like it was everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure algorithms got me too, but um, mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I worked with a woman, uh, Pam at the, payments processor. Um, we'd only worked together for a handful of months. She didn't tolerate what I was willing to tolerate. Um, and she was extremely mm -hmm. driven and she's like, I'm going to go figure this out. Um, she also had much more experience in product and had, um, mm -hmm. more of a resume and her personality is just incredible. She's a personal friend. So I'm also like blowing her mm -hmm. up a little bit. She referred me to the product operations role. Um, that, yeah, that was when Twilio was really growing. <laughs> Um, so when I found out after getting the role, um, she had shared some stats with me of like only, it was something like under 3% of people that make it to panel actually get the job, hmm. something like that. Um, I'd have to fact check it, but that was like, oh, wow. Like that just shows the growth and like the, how many people were applying versus the way that they hired and how particular they were about hiring mm -hmm. um i felt very lucky to to go when i did hmm. um, what do you think yeah. were the key traits or key experiences that you had that made you land that job um i think going back to what i said before of like knowing what not to do hmm. um the product operations role is also it's something that comes more naturally to me than product management 
Okay. Um, to me, it's something like you can use education, you can use reading, you can use like looking ahead in the industry as something to your advantage, mm-hmm. m- more so than any other role in the industry right now, I think, mm-hmm. um, because it is new. And my project mm-hmm. management skills and program management skills were good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think what really got me was she told me this later, but one of the directors of products that I ended up working with, um, she wasn't the hiring manager. The head of product separations was the hiring manager. Mm-hmm. And she told me later, she was like, I mean, if she wasn't going to hire you, I was going to find a way to hire you. Mm-hmm. So I think that whatever connection that I had with her in that 45 minute call and like understanding the struggle she was having in her department and like ideating together mm-hmm. really sold sold me nice that's a cool um now that we're getting a bit more into product operations um it's still a somewhat new role Uh, at least in europe it's not that common in companies there for example in portugal there may be like dozen companies that have this this function um how do you define product operations how would you describe it to someone that doesn't know what it is Ooh, that's tough, Um, (laughs) which it shouldn't be tough as someone in the industry. But I think where it's at right now is there's so many different definitions. Like it started Mm -hmm. as something small and the funnel has gotten really huge in terms of like what it is. And I think in the next year or three, it's going to really start to refine itself, at least how it's applied at different organizations. Maybe break into different, more concrete disciplines, right? Yeah. And, and yes, exactly. Product operations for me. Um, and you know, what I think is right, mm-hmm. um, is the connective tissue from R and D to the rest of the organization. And I use R and D instead of just product, because mm-hmm. to me, it's about product team, which also includes engineers. They're not exclusive okay. of each other, which is, one that um, I'm sure people that I speak to are tired of hearing me say, I don't love PM, the PM experience. I think that's way, that's something that's at a large organization when you have hundreds of PMs, when there's much more opportunity in in different growth stages of companies where product operations can instill value. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you elaborate a little bit on what are those different models or different ways of looking at product man product operations like what what do you mean by pm the pm experience yeah sure um so there's a few layers that i that i observe today um there is what i would categorize as central product operations centralized product operations So this would be any department within an organization that is only product operations. It sits out on its own. Mm. Um, It would have maybe models like the chief of staff model, which I'll define these in a second, the PM, the PM experience model and the PMO model. Okay. So the chief of staff model is like a CPO And it might not necessarily be their idea, but the product operations head reports into the CPO. Mm -hmm. And that is the primary stakeholder. 
and in some cases the only stakeholder um which okay. to me the pros of that is that you have the direction and the guidance from you know yourself and that one individual Mm-hmm. which means that the definition for that org will probably be pretty clear. Um, and what kind, least... of, what kind of functions or day-to-day activities would that entail? To me, that would be entirely dependent on what the CPO and the head of think mm-hmm. of as important. And that's why it's so dependent on the organization. But mm-hmm. I would foresee something like chief of staff, me, when I hear that, it's someone that helps streamline and organize things on that cadence and strategy level. So I see that primary mm-hmm. focus of that type of organization. And this is, of course, a generalization mm-hmm. would be to, well, the CPO wants to talk about things this way. So we're going to organize how we talk about things this way, which means mm-hmm. that we need to organize our planning this way, mostly on the strategy operations side versus the PM, the PM experience and the alternative central model. I would say is not the direct opposite of that. Um, but to me, I see a more of a focus on like the data and insights and the tools effectiveness piece, specifically mm-hmm. as it applies only to product management. Right. So in that case, the stakeholder is not a single person as the CPO. It's all the product managers are your stakeholders in that sense. Yeah, the, they're customers, customers, right? So they're yeah. listening. <clears throat> And the way that maybe I'll phrase this is that chief of staff or even the PMO that is very similar, the the lens that that product operations leader looks through is upward versus the PM, the PM experience, the lens that they look through is downward. Correct. And I think that when we over-index on either of those options, we're not seeing the middle ground. Like we should be mm-hmm. doing both. Right. And not necessarily like as a chief of staff or PM, the PM experience exactly, but like you need the, the groundwork to be done to have observations on strategy. You have to connect all the pieces so that it has mm-hmm. business value in the end. Yes, of course you want to prioritize that the PMs enjoy their job, but it's also about doing good work and having value, mm-hmm. which translates into the needs of the business, which is your upward lens. It should You yeah. should constantly have your head on a swivel in the product right. operations role. Mm-hmm. Cool. And what's the PMO model particularly? Yeah. So the PMO model, I it's not indifferent from either of these two. I mostly use PMO to say like a centralized organization, um, but oh, it can sorry? also be a part of. So I use the PMO to describe like a centralized organization. Mm. Okay. Um, and I usually think about like different pairings alongside product operations. So if there's something like agile program management, which is mm-hmm. its own department that is in a PMO with product operations, where your customers are now also your peers to get process done. I see this at much larger organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, the other layer that I'll add to this, not just the centralized, is the embedded model, um, which this is one that I don't like. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm more than willing to say that firmly. Right. This is to me where you have product operations on a product team. 
Hmm. Um, so you have a product manager, designers, engineers, and the product operations person within the team. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I would put it like at the Scrum level, right? It could be hmm. at a, a business unit level where you have your directors and VPs of product. You still have that head on a swivel environment in in a business unit. This is like the 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 lowest on the ground right next to the PM and EM into the weeds of that particular work. Mm. And where I see the focus areas of this group is like, well, we have customer bugs that need to be fixed. And my primary job is to burn down bugs. Mm. To me, this is a model that speaks to the organizational maturity level. Mm -hmm. um, when I say that, I mean, Products should prioritize bugs to burn them down at a reasonable rate. That's the role of a product manager. So just add a product operations person to see that through. You're just filling a gap, maybe in your current, current product definition or your current product manager skill set. So you right. have two people for the job of one when you probably have more more impactful things that could be done by an mm -hmm. operations individual. So your approach would be more to have this product operations person um, like optimizing the work of the PM so that it can properly do the the whole work that it should be doing instead of going down to the to the lower level and getting their hands dirty together with the PM sharing responsibilities. It would be more on like empowering the product manager to do more if i get it correct yeah yeah to me i think about it like at at the different scales right if it's a one-to-one -one scale a product operations person to a product manager mm -hmm. you could have just hired a better person maybe okay right versus mm -hmm. like product operations at you know a couple levels up and not even leveling in their own role i mean in terms of like scale impact yeah. You're going to get more impact from that person. If I could make a different analogy. So um, a man that a, a mentor of mine that I work with, who actually brought me over to Rapid, I'm more than happy to tell that story. Mm -hmm. um, he was one of the business unit owners at Twilio. Mm -hmm. um, and when I went to him and said, I need help. I went from working with one team to five to six teams and I can't, I can't scale this anymore. Like I actually need help now. I was able to get mm -hmm. to this point, but I actually need help. And he looked at me and he said, if you do your job well, we shouldn't need more of you. Mm. And while I agreed with the sentiment of like, if I'm an efficiency person or an enabler, I should be able to scale Mm -hmm. But the rebuttal that I had for him was that's like saying that you don't need more architects as your as you scale on the software side of things, on the engineering side of things. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. That's not what you support yeah. today. You have architects with focus areas. It's mm -hmm. the same thing if you mm -hmm. want the impact to be meaningful. Yeah. So do you have any kind of rule of thumb for like how many product operations people do you need for x 
product managers? Um, at what point do you need a product operations person? It's a long one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start with the what point do you need product operations? And then I'll kind of go to like the ratio piece. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I really want to sketch this out because it's only in my mind, I feel at this point. But there are maturity scales that you can use to evaluate where your organization is operationally and where your need is in the coming years to scale effectively, right? So an organization might be um, a startup that has limited funding that sees, you know, small percentage of growth over the next couple of years, but they're seeing a lot of challenges with delivering what they committed, having visibility into what they committed. So Mm -hmm. while they're not scaling, they might benefit from having a product operations person to take some of the operational burden off of the team so they can focus on, you know, releasing and doing good work while also continuing efficient work. Mm -hmm. On the other spectrum, a larger organization, let's use Twilio as an example, where Mm -hmm. they had a lot of growth at once. Um, they were large, they functioned in autonomous, small teams, which is great. But when you have in scaling in different directions, as soon as you want visibility into the organization as a whole, it becomes really difficult. And that's to me, a decision point of like, oh, wow, we have so many things going on and we need to be conscious of the things going on. So we understand the direction of our strategy but there's no way for me to see that. Hmm. That to me okay. is where product operations could be helpful. So, so it's kind it can... of a scale of like size and maturity and where the existing gap is in the organization. Mm-hmm. So that can be can that function can bring clarity to the structure and to the processes that you're building. When it starts getting a bit too messy, maybe that's the point to to have a product operations person to optimize it. Yeah, I would love for it to be a little ahead of that. Mm-hmm. So Actually, it's not a huge mess to unlearn. Uh, there's a lot of unlearning at an organization like that, which is really difficult for like adoption and change management. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want it done well, do it right the first time. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Let's, uh, we'll get back into this a uh, little bit. Um but first, so you then jumped to Rapid API and you were saying that you can tell the story of how you ended up there. Um, and also, what's your role there? Yeah, so I am the head of product operations at Rapid. Um, it seems like a pretty big jump from manager of product operations and the head of, but I think mm-hmm. that the state that the industry is in and also the trust that I had with some people that I've worked with previously, I was given the opportunity, which I feel lucky for. My fiance would say it's not luck because I've worked really hard to get here. All this bouncing around Mm -hmm. and all those small decisions has led me here. But I think there is something to like coincidence. Um, Mm. So there are, there are a handful of leaders at rapid that I've worked with before. Um, and they were noticing some challenges when they had joined and they're like, maybe product operations is something that we need. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I I didn't really have a desire to change. And when I saw that opportunity come up and also saw that some of the people that I'd worked with before I'd worked there, I'm like, oh, I'll explore it. Um, I actually took a couple of phone calls or interviews. They they turned out to be while I was on Christmas vacation in Florida. Like I was so not invested, you know, where I'm like putting a blazer on and sitting at my desk. And it was like, no, I know these people. Like, I'm just curious. I'm just going to have this call. I have the ocean behind me and like my parents walking in and out with their beers and things. And um, it was fine. Um, but one of the individuals that I was really looking forward to working for, um, who I didn't really realize was a mentor to me until I came to Rapid, mm-hmm. uh, was a gentleman named E.J. Gill. He um, passed away a couple months ago, um, which was an interesting experience for us all at Rapid. Um, he provided a lot of value across the teams. Um, and it was, uh, and I don't want to like belittle anyway, like any loss of life. It was a really big reflection on like, we're all here. We're all trying to do good things, but like, we also are individuals and like, we need to prioritize that. And it was really interesting to see not only the leadership team, but the organization kind of reflect and consider that. Yeah, it was an interesting time. Like it, it's not something you think about when you go to work that the people around you are also, and this sounds terrible. Obviously the people around you are people, right? Like you go to happy hours, you talk, you know them personally, but you're not thinking about the circle of life while you're at work um, and things that could happen. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a good, um, it was enlightening. Mm -hmm. I, he was somewhat, he was, um, a primary stakeholder of mine, primary customer of mine, um, as well as our, uh, head of central tech engineering who was, and is my boss, um, Mm -hmm. Jason Hudak and our head of product, Wade Wagner. So I had, I'd known these men slightly. Um, and I always respected them. And kind of the thought that I had was, well, if they took this opportunity, they must clearly see value. I see value, but I also trust that they see value. This should probably be something that, and they're willing to take a risk on me. This is something, again, that I should just throw myself into the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hasn't felt like a fire. I think my passion for product operations and my willingness to learn it and talk about it and prioritize it puts me in a unique spot to build it for rapid Mm -hmm. um i am very glad that i found what i enjoy and nerd out about i didn't think that that would happen in my legal secretary days and my sales days i was always kind of like looking at the next thing i'm in my thing now Mm -hmm. which is pretty incredible yeah that's cool so you see us you see yourself staying at Rapid for a long time? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so along for this ride. I think the, it's not just potential anymore. Like there's definitely an ownership in the market. Um, but mm-hmm. I also see potential across all of the teams. Um, yeah. Which cool. I think that my theme for today has been like, people are important in your, mm-hmm. in your job. 
I feel like that at Rapid. I have a strong team of women leader peers, which is incredible. Um, There's something that like fills my heart about that. Like I'm, I'm happy to work with people in general and move, move things Mm -hmm. forward. But like this team of women that are like open and honest and driven and like very smart and articulate, like we're in this together and we're pushing forward. It feels awesome. Um, yeah, that's cool. And what have been some challenges and learnings associated with, I mean, specifically with this part of being on a leadership position, like going from manager to head of, and that's such a big company. What have been some of the challenges there? Yeah. So product operations is a new function for rapid. Um, so when I came in, it was building from the ground and it's kind of like, which I'm taking Jason's analogy now. It's like flying the plane while building it and teaching people what it, how to build it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a lot and it's challenging, but I'm really enjoying it. So I try, I don't like want to label it as a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the hard, like if I had to be more tangible about it and like less, less floaty about it yeah i would say um the selling of product operations like the influencing Mm -hmm. that product operations can have outside of r&d the value of product operations is seen pretty clearly in r&d so even if they don't understand what product operations is even after it's been defined you know and shared they see the value so that's okay but Mm -hmm. outside of r&d especially when you are you know, impacting or um, influencing launch and like coordinating things across different departments. It's like, well, who are you? Like, what is your role exactly? Mm -hmm. And that's something that just like adoption and change management and sales, it has to be constant. That influencing has to be constant. Hey, this is what I do. This is what I'm here for. And like, you Mm -hmm. have to maintain that influence level. Um, Otherwise it, can easily lead your strategy astray. Mm-hmm. And how do you pitch that? How do you do that advocating communication? Like what are the key benefits that you say, we are doing this thing in product operations because it achieves this for the business. How do you do that advocation, advocating internally? Yeah, so... I focus on the outcomes of the strategy. So I have four pillars that the team owns. Um, the the primary one that impacts outward teams is the customer and go-to-market interlock pillar, which is where things like release management, customer feedback, voice of customer um, mm-hmm. come into play. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a measure yet because I find that to be some of the hardest things to define in product operations or any like enablement role. But the outcome is that we are bringing the customer centric view to product and R and D. If we execute on these programs, which that's pretty clear for most folks in GTM, they're like, Oh yeah, it's something obviously that I would want. Um, But I think even getting the understanding of what product operations is, because if you even Google it, you get a million different definitions, right? And it's so dependent on the organization. 
that it has to be influenced by how you've defined it. And you have to hold true to that. And you also have to understand what other exposure people have had. So have they worked with product operations before? What was that product operation? Mm -hmm. So you can make a comparison. Mm -hmm. If they haven't, what other operational functions have they worked with? Chief of staff, business operations, things where you can kind of call to things that are similar. So so they understand. Before communicating or doing that kind of advocating, you need to understand what preconceived ideas they have and maybe deconstruct them somehow, right? Yeah, this is where I'm at today. Like I had built the strategy, you know, pitched the deck, hey, here's our mm-hmm. definition. Um, and the feedback that I've gotten is like, I still don't understand it. And that's mm-hmm. where like, it's not just, hey, this is what it is, right? That's not sales. Yeah. That's not influence. It's like that customization and the consistency. Right. Yeah. Right. What role do you think emotion and empathy plays when communicating and also when leading? Um, a really important one. Um, so a product operations role is to solve problems on behalf of customers, which are people. And in order to understand the problems, you have to have empathy for the problems. Because if you don't have empathy for the problem, you're probably going to have like, okay, problem A is solved by solution A, rather than the empathy layer can bring in diversity of solution based on like the underlying root causes of the problem. Hmm. There are a lot of words there, but let's use an example of like- But how, I mean, that's sounding to me a bit similar to what a product manager would want to do, on, right? Yeah. What's the difference there? The only difference is your customer um, and the things that you're focusing on. I think that product operations generally is run similarly to product. So your product development lifecycle of discovery and planning and execution and release and launch, it's the same flow for product operations. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually use PRDs for our programs so we can capture those problems and the opportunity alignment because it's good to get buy-in, but also to dissect the problem. It's not as simple as what's, it's also the proactive nature of product operations. If you only have problem A and solution A, you probably didn't consider like, well, what does it look like in three years? Mm -hmm. And like, that's not necessarily an empathy thing, but I'd say that's another example of like the layers that you need to consider in looking at problems. But empathy is a huge one for product operations because your customers are people, just like product. Mm-hmm. Right. Is it also included in your function in product operations, uh, some kind of measuring the success of product managers and product teams, or it's not falling under product ops? Um, so it is, but at the stage that we're in, we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, so in order to measure how things are going, you first have to have visibility into how things are going. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're still on the stage of building that, uh, infrastructure to, to have the the visibility that you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I would say anyone that enters a product operations role is going to have to do some of that infrastructure work 
because product mm-hmm. operations is so new, you're not going to go into an organization and be like, oh, great, I can see everything and the roadmaps are accurate. So if I look at them, I can understand where the gaps are in the product development life cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I would bet like 3% of companies would be like that. You're going to come in and you're going to be like, what's going on here? And then you're going to have to solve problems so you can start to have visibility. So you can start to evaluate how things are going. So you can get into that, like the operational optimization piece of mm-hmm. product operations. Right. We already briefly uh, touched on that, on what's like the rule of thumb or something like that to understand when a company should start thinking of having a product operations role. Um, but until reaching that point, what advice do you have for individual contribute PMs to ensure that the product operations functions are fulfilled even without a dedicated person? Mm, man. It's a lot to take on. Um, and that's why I'm glad product operations is coming out because a product manager should prioritize product management work, right? Like their users and the value to customers, mm-hmm. customers being the end user. So to use any of your brain space towards efficiency of process to me is a bit of a distraction from the ultimate value you're trying to provide. Mm-hmm. That said, at an organization, you can't continue without thinking about efficiency and like operational maturity. Um, so my suggestion would be if, you, if you're in a position as a product manager where you feel that your time is teetering more towards the process of how to do things versus the actual delivery of value, you mm-hmm. should probably start a conversation. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's natural for people to go in that direction. Maybe also consider product operations for yourself. If mm-hmm. there might be a reason why you're taking on more of it, do you like it more? Yeah. Take it on. It's really fun. That's interesting. And how do you see the future of product operations going forward? Well, historically, right, it started as a small idea. Um, I think Melissa Perry led the charge on that. Um, and it was pretty strictly defined. And then as more people got their hands in and saw how to apply it in organizations, a lot of opinions form. And I think it's created a very large funnel of what product operations is in the definition. So in the mm-hmm. next couple of years, I imagine that funnel being refined. And I hope in areas of either specialization or the consideration for organizational types. So thinking of like, well, this stage, this operational maturity for this um, cultural thing, because that plays a large role, like what's the culture of the organization today, and the problems that they're facing, that we can start to segment product operations to solve the problems of those different organizations. Mm-hmm. And the other one I mentioned was by function. So a colleague of mine, MK, has brought the attention to of engineering ops to me. Um, I okay. wasn't familiar with that kind of coming to fruition. Um, Spotify is doing something like that. I don't necessarily love the separation of function because I think as an R&D organization, we're, we're moving the ship together. I think as mm-hmm. soon as you start to silo by a location in an organization or by a function is when you start to break, break down the connective tissue, which is the opposite of what I think operations wants. But I can mm-hmm. see value of having you know specific specialization. So I'll be interested to see where that goes. 
Um, yeah, I also think like five to 10 years, like what new, new role comes out of product operations? What is it called then um, mm-hmm. when it does get more specific? Yeah. And what are some of the thought leaders or organizations moving these product operations function forward that you recommend people check out? Maybe awesome. Yeah. Also. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned her name already, Melissa Perry. Her mm-hmm. uh, Escaping the Build Trap book was really good. Um, I would recommend, I always recommend anyone to read it, regardless mm-hmm. of role in product. Um, yeah. I think it's awesome. It does talk about like different organizational types and um, CPOs and like when they come in and when they leave. And it's really interesting evaluation of, of product for, for companies. And she's also going to be releasing a book around product operations with a co-author that I can't recall her name um, that I'm excited for. It's supposed to release this year, but I think it's been pushed. I'm excited to see her observations as like that as she kind of, I felt that she incepted the idea. Um, Mm -hmm. So where does she actually see what it is today versus maybe what the intention was and where she sees it going. So I'm excited for that. Um, The Product-Led Alliance is also a group um, that I think does a really good job of talking about product operations uh, with a future perspective. Um, I think -hmm. there are a lot of networks popping up as product operations grows, but I think they are more those new ones are focused on like, how do you enter product operations and what is yeah. it versus product led Alliance is like, okay, we've done that. You know, they've, they've had a couple conferences that were focused around that. Yeah. What is the future of it? How are you doing mm-hmm. it? What does it mean at scale? What are the specialties yeah. that you think that should be? Yeah. More so pushing I think they're the conversation the forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Nice. I mean, then you're also doing uh, very innovative work at a big organization doing that so for sure exciting times are ahead yeah everyone watch rapid product operations (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be fun for sure um right one other thing a bit more not necessarily only in product operations but what has been what has been some of the biggest challenge you face as a product person so I think a lot of people, especially after Marty Kagan's article about process people, think mm-hmm. that product operations are just that, process people. Um, right. And I think there probably are people in the industry that put process over anything else. I think we saw the same evolution with Agile, right? I think like the mm-hmm. idea of Agile was you know, pretty flexible. And then it became more and more specific. And then it was like, well, if you don't do it this way, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of yeah. created an interesting vibe to it. I think it said something to the, the challenge being not over-engineering things. Be, I mean, I think it's more obvious than product management because that, that development life cycle and like having release stages and being iterative is kind of built in to that mm-hmm. process. We need to have that same technique in product operations. You don't just see a problem, develop a process and think that that process is going to be adopted because if it's not adopted, the process didn't do anything. The whole point Mm -hmm. is to have it bring value to the people using it and to ensure that the the value or the outcome is there. Um, So take your time and figuring out what's appropriate rather than launching something huge and steering a a ship around like a whole cruise Mm -hmm. ship rather than like just get on the nice yacht. 
<laughs> these small little turns yeah. uh, and you'll figure out the right options. Right. That's interesting. And it connects uh, pretty much to the outcome over output mentality. And I mean, it's not a discussion anymore that this mentality is more productive to and it leads to better outcomes. Um, but it's still challenging to implement that at scale in some organizations. Um, how can you achieve that at scale and how can you push an organization to have this mentality if they don't have it intrinsically? And is there a role for product operations to help in that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I'll kind of stick on the philosophical theme here. I think it's a cultural shift, um, which, you know, you can have everyone on the team believe that outcome over output is true and beneficial, but it's so mm -hmm. easy to default to the output mentality. Right. Um, so I would encourage leaders of product teams and R&D teams to consider like looking at the incentives for product management and see like, is that really encouraging outcome mentality? So mm -hmm. like a metric that I would look at, for example, is like this percentage of things shipped on time. Is it really mm -hmm. shipped on time? Was it customer commitment that we're trying to evaluate? Or are we going, are we happy when product managers make the appropriate priority trade-offs? That means things will flip. That is supposed to happen if the right decisions are being made. How do we measure mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Probably a couple of different things, but that would be something that's working against the outcome mentality. As a product operations person, I have been praised on radical candor. Um, mm -hmm. I think it wasn't something I was born with. I definitely worked towards it, but I think it's something that's so relevant to an operations professional. You need to be the person, regardless of level of a leader, to enforce good practice or good strategy. Mm -hmm. And this one would be one. So if you're right. seeing a leader default to output and you know that they believe outcome over output, call them out, have the conversation, call mm -hmm. out the incentives, try right. to come up with solu alternative solutions so also to promote the to, right behavior. Mm -hmm. So also try to push for these different metrics that um, reward this mentality um, whenever you can, right? Yeah, exactly. And when you mm -hmm. see behavior, like even between a product leader and their product manager or a product manager and the engineer that works against the outcome over output, you should have those conversations mm -hmm. as a product. Hey, I saw you speak to so-and-so and you incentivize this thing, or you put a lot of pressure in this area. Was that really the right call? The trade-off that he made was X, Y, Z. As a product operations person, you have so much visibility into that more so than I would say almost anyone else in the organization. It's you and the leaders. So you are more equipped to share that information. And you're also going to be closer to those product managers just because you ride the middle ground. Um, mm -hmm. So you're the yeah. perfect person to solve that problem. Cool. Nice. All right. We are already more than one hour through. So before we jump to the final questions, I just have a small thing that I'm curious about. So Rapid API is a quite technical product or at least a product for techies how different is it for a product manager uh, at a technical product versus a consumer app for example how different is the role mm. 
So I want to say not that different um, mm-hmm. because you're still providing value to a customer. Um, I guess the difference that I would call out is like the understanding of the type of customer, but that's expertise that you would need at any organization. And I think that any good product manager is capable of, right? Like the mm-hmm. user interviews, understanding what they do, understanding their role. Mm-hmm. I will say it favors more towards the technical product manager because yeah. of just having that understanding already. Right. Um, but I will say a challenge of that is also making assumptions because you feel that you know what a, what mm-hmm. that customer is. So I think at any yeah. organization, there is a balance between like the technical product manager, the business oriented product manager mm-hmm. um, right. to make sure that those, you know, opposite questions are being asked about the users. Mm-hmm. Right. And actually at Rapid, do you have a, uh, is technical background required for PMs? Um, I don't believe it's required. Um, I might get a message from our head of product by that statement. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I think if you feel that you're a fit for the role, you should try it. I mean, we just spent so much time talking about my experience, right? And like mm-hmm. lacking in so many areas and doing it anyway. <laughs> like if yeah. you're if you're good at things and you can jump into them and learn, like opportunities are endless. Yeah, um, that's cool. So I think a technical focus is helpful. But like I said, I think the balance between those two things, like the unicorn product managers of like, just because I know this doesn't make it true. Mm-hmm. That scientific method and hypothesis and questioning individual, that yeah. is what's going to get you further than a one focus mm-hmm. uh, of a technical focus, let's say. Yeah, yeah, right. And related to that, what do you look for when hiring someone to join product ops? What kind of skills or experiences are you looking for? Yeah, it's a good question um, that I debate constantly. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because I think similar to what I just stated about products, like there's a balance between technical and business given the scope of product operations. I would say one though, regardless of focus area, the top skill is influence. Um, There are so many people that you work with and you need to know how to build trust. You need to know how to bring people along the journey and see the value of what you're doing and the benefit that you provide so you can continue to provide that benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, I find if you are a product operations person that, you know, similar to the over-engineering comment where you go and you make a process, if it's not adopted, you don't get the value and adoption. You have to influence to have adoption. Mm-hmm. And if you right. want efficient adoption, right. One that doesn't just naturally ha- take years, <laughs> you have mm-hmm. to, like prioritize the influence aspect. You got to make your rounds. You got to hear what people's feedback is. Even if you're not going to change it, you have to consider it. You have to be, you have to hear them out um, and you probably mm-hmm. should consider it, but at a minimum, mm-hmm. you should listen. Cool. And what advice do you have for someone that would like to jump to this product operations area? Someone that has a like likes product, but maybe as a more uh, a stronger connection or feels stronger in operations slash processes. Uh, what advice do you have for them to jump into the position? Um, so two things came to mind. One, I would say do it sooner rather than later. 
mm-hmm. where product operations is in the industry at its earliest point, the ability to get in early is much easier than I think it will be in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Because people that have had the title and have the experience, there's only growing. Yeah. Um, which makes it really competitive. From a um like a selling aspect of like if you land the interview, you'll want to understand the concepts of good product management and good product strategy. So you'll need to understand like what product planning looks like, the process maps that support that, like the product development lifecycle. You might want to do some research on different tooling things that teams use. You might want to do some research on the data and insights that are valuable, not just product adoption, not just growth, but things like operational metrics. I see those Mm -hmm. becoming more and more popular. Um, You should also be able to pitch the impact of product operations. First, Mm -hmm. in an interview process, you need to understand what product operations is for that org and determine whether that's for you. If it is Mm -hmm. for you, you need to understand, okay, if I do this, what value do I provide? So you can say it right back to them. Mm -hmm. And you can also ideate and suggest new things. When I'm hiring, I'm looking for someone who I'm aligned with on what product operations means, which mm-hmm. is inclusive of not just product, but all of R&D. We move the ship together. It's not one size fits all. Um, right. That's what I look for. There are probably other organizations that look for firmer definition than I mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. But just like the example I gave earlier, like if I were to interview an agile program manager, I also don't want them to tell me that safe is the only way that they like to work. That mm-hmm. to me is an inflexible person. Uh, okay. That might be an aggressive statement. <laughs> I don't dislike safe, to be clear. Um, but flexibility and influence are, are things, and dealing with ambiguity um, right. are things people need to be good at for the role. Mm-hmm. So also when you're applying to a certain company, research what product operations means for that company that would probably also be a valuable thing. Yeah, I doubt they have it posted. To me, that's like your first hiring manager call. When you get one, you got to ask the question if you're not sharing Mm -hmm. immediately. Um, I think it would be unwise for a hiring manager to not share that because if you're just interviewing a candidate and think that you can understand what they're going to provide you without defining product operations to them, you're doing a disservice to yourself and your team. Because product operations is so new, you you need to give people the opportunity to rise to the occasion. And that means communicating what it means to you, too. Right. Lindsay, it's a, it has been a, an amazing conversation so far. I just have some final questions from, for you. And the first one is, what are your three favorite books? I'm going to pick more than three because uh, it's hard to choose. So as it relates to product operations, I said Escaping the Build Trap, that's a great one. Um, Another like easy read that I think is a good reminder of how to think about work is a book called Making Work Visible, Exposing Time Theft to Optimize Work and Flow. Super easy read, just kind of like, you know, sparks your mind on to think about enabling uh, R&D teams. Mm -hmm. Um, And the next one would be High Output Management. Um, that's a good one that's been recommended to me over and over on the fun side of things we had a book club at rapid um, which was a really really good book that picked out by one of our directors of product april called an absolutely remarkable thing by hank green 
it's um it's kind of sci-fi but hmm. uh, it's really good i'd say like light sci-fi hmm. um, do you have any other recommendations on the sci-fi space yeah i like ag riddle um good books um samuel best also does hard science um those are easy reads um if you just want to escape somewhere um i'm currently reading the ninth house um which is a fantasy novel that netflix actually has the show on shadow and bone um and that mm -hmm. author just released or is releasing in january a new book in the series that i got a friend of mine works for a bookstore so i got an early release copy so i have to read the first book first before i can read the second but i'm mm -hmm. excited for for that one so the ninth house i'm reading currently nice and what are your three favorite cities oh my gosh another hard one well i know my my top one immediately my favorite city in the whole world is edinburgh um edinburgh i edinburgh i want to nice. go back because it's i want to really understand good. whether it's like nostalgia um mm -hmm. i did a um a couple classes over the summer in sterling scotland which is also beautiful but edinburgh is an hour away and it was just incredible it's so much fun there and the people were great yeah. i love whiskey i love potatoes Haggis, you never like, tried it go for it it's like in every corner there's like a lot of history and a lot of so interesting much. stuff i think i'll only pick one i don't know the other two cool and finally what are your three favorite podcasts or podcasts you'd recommend to product people yeah um so i sound like a total melissa perry fangirl um but i'm mm. gonna go with the product thinking podcast Cool. Um, I also awesome. like the Product Ops podcast. Um, mm -hmm. and the next one that I would pick, if the last one isn't yours, I'll mm -hmm. choose the Work Life by Adam Grant. Um, cool. much more general, not specific to product, but but really mm -hmm. good. Nice. Cool. Hope one day the Product Weekend slash Productized podcast will surpass the melissa perry podcast let's see how it goes <laughs> yeah i love the drive let's do it <laughs> right where can people find you online if they'd like to connect or to know more about you yeah so i'm on linkedin um lindsey bell head of product operations at rapid api give me a search i'm more than happy mm -hmm. to connect i'm always happy to speak with people too If you're wanting to explore what product operations is or need any advice, I'm happy to provide it. Um, if you want to tell me how to do things, also more mm -hmm. than happy to hear it. Um, I also am a part of a few different Slack groups. Um, so the Products Lot Alliance has a Slack group, as does um, Product Ops HQ is another. Um, and if okay. you're based in Colorado, which I no longer am, but it's where I was about a year ago, I'm now in Oregon. Colorado product Slack channel mm -hmm. as well that I'm in. So if you're in any of those, Slack me directly and I'll get, get back to you. Nice. Perfect. Lindsay, thank you so much for the time and for the chat. It was amazing. And I'm sure there was a lot of interesting insights for our audience. So thanks a lot for the time. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. Um, and thanks for recommending Tammy's mm. um, product. I can't wait to install it on my Gmail. Ha, ha, ha.